Welcome to House of Data, a show exploring how data is influencing decisions at the most ambitious companies in housing. I'm your host, Alex Bridgman. Together, we will dive into how housing market participants are ingesting, organizing, and making decisions using data and the competitive advantages that follow. I am the Director of Data Strategy at Altos Research, owned by HW Media, and we supply some of the most dynamic companies in housing with unique intelligence across every housing market nationwide. You can learn more about Altos Research and this podcast by going to altosresearch.com or by sending me an email at alex at hwmedia.com. My guest today is Alex Villacorda, co-founder of ResiShares, a rental real estate investing platform. Alex has spent his career in housing data at companies like Clear Capital and House Canary before co-founding ResiShares with Michael Green in 2020. His career-long focus on housing data has given him really insightful perspectives on working with and building teams around data, and our conversation dives into several views he's developed over time. In this third episode of House of Data, Alex and I discuss how the data profession has evolved over his career since 2007, the importance of context within data, where companies get stuck using data, and what his fantasy data team looks like. Please enjoy our episode with Alex Villacorta. I'm really excited that we get to chat for this third episode of House of Data, the show all about how housing companies are using data today and organizing and making decisions off of it. You've had a lot of experience at different housing companies over time and now co-founding ResiShares. I would love to get kind of a snapshot overview of your career to this point and then the goal and kind of mission for ResiShares and your role in the business. Sure, sure. Happy to. Uh, and thanks for having me. Um, you know, my journey in data generally was was really, you know, kind of just fell uh, bass backwards into it, to be quite honest. Um, I was always okay at math and did that in my college career. And I, I took a, a math stats course and uh, on the midterm, I got an F, like not even close F, like a full, you, you don't know anything F. And uh, I never got an F before. And so uh, immediately panicked, uh, went to the professor and uh, with hat in hand, begged for some sort of solution. And the professor with a wily smile looked at me and says, all right, I'll tell you what, 100% of your grade on the final. So I went all in. I just went all in. Uh, my, my drive not to fail a course uh, led me to, you know, just fully immerse myself in, in the world of data and statistics. And, uh, and the, as they say, the rest is, was history, you know, got an A in that course and, and then really committed myself academically to really understanding this idea of the science of uncertainty, really because the world's an uncertain place and that always resonated with me. So, uh, so did that for, for, for quite some time, ended up getting my PhD in statistics and applied probability from UC Santa Barbara, um, where my dissertation was, was focused on, um, the dissemination of news from a temporal, spatial, and semantic context. So simply what that means is how news traversed around our earth, how the stories themselves changed, who was reading them, what parts of the globe were these these publications being read, and what really was important uh, from a geographical perspective. And so when I finished in 2006 um, and, and was starting to look for employment, uh, I came across a, a valuations company, Clear Capital. And the job description read very much like what I was, was doing my PhD work in, which was understanding 
the, the flow of real estate value um, based upon a collection of multimedia data sources, namely images, structured data, and unstructured data, things like text. And I said, well, I, I don't know anything about real estate. I've never owned a house. Uh, I don't know up from down. I don't know anything about mortgages, but I really like the data framework. Let's do this. So uh, that started a, a near 10-year career uh, working in the valuation space. Um, it, during that time, I uh, was able to build that organization within the company uh, to include everything from research, uh, which was building ABMs, HPIs, uh, risk tools, comp engines, things of that nature, to also overseeing the business intelligence unit as well as some of the data engineering efforts. So, uh, and I loved it. And, and, and I think, um, you know, having having that full broad spectrum of, of exposure to the different, um, you know, focus areas of, of data professionals was incredibly helpful for me as a statistician to understand the entirety of how, you know, the data ultimately landed on my desk, uh, as a practitioner. So, so that was fantastic. Uh, after that, I, uh, moved on to a uh, startup life, uh, joined house canary, um, after that decade of work. And, uh, it was another amazing, uh, interesting wild ride. I'd never been part of a startup before. Um, you know, especially a, a Silicon Valley startup out in the Bay, um, met a lot of great people, made a lot of good friends, and uh, that was also a, a really good experience to see how, from a business point of view, how data, uh, especially in a venture sense, was uh, positioned, monetized, and really used as a strategic advantage um, in, in a very competitive data landscape. So that was insightful, which led me to my current, uh, as you mentioned, my current uh, role as chief data officer and co-founder at ResiShares, uh, where we are an investment manager for the single family rental industry, uh, really focusing on uh, analyzing, selecting and acquiring single family rentals um, amidst other other strategies. Um, but again, all of this is, uh, all, uh, you know, our ethos in, in this business is, is entirely driven by, you know, our understanding and our utilization of data, which, you know, ultimately we believe is our edge uh, against the backdrop of a lot of traditional approaches, which is a lot of spreadsheets and, you know, gut feelings that, that people just have when they when they're looking at different markets. Yeah, I'd love to dive into the the edge of um, that you've developed it with with data at Resi Shares, but you've had a lot of experience and prior roles over a lot of technological change with data. I would love to hear like how has how would a data team in you know early years two thousand seven at Clear Capital look versus the one year you've built from scratch at Resi Shares? Like, what are the kind of key differences maybe in the the tools that they're using? or the, the construction of the team. We talked earlier about kind of the, the fantasy football team or Dungeons and Dragons, you know, cohort or group of a data team and how they've changed over time. We'd love to hear like key differences you've seen over time between, you know, a 2007 group data team versus maybe one you built today. Yeah, great question. I mean, obviously, there's there's very, very significant differences uh, over that decade and a half, um, as you would expect. Um, I, I would say back... Back in 2007, and obviously that was an interesting time in the housing market. That was, you know, kind of the height of the, uh, you know, the Great Recession or, or the precipice of, of the big downturn. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, data professionals and a, and a data team, I think what what's different now versus then was back then we really didn't know. I think there was as much foresight into what the challenges ahead were going to be. Um, you know, for example, if you had a product or you had an app, you knew that you needed certain data elements to 
to serve that application or serve you know certain um, you know uh, feature features of, of the product, and so that was felt traditionally under a, you know the the more common software development lifecycle, your you know more common software development, um, and and data was just another requirement needed. And so those who did work in data, like myself back in 2007, we were really, you know, the jack of all trades. Um, we really had to know how to work very well with Excel. You had to know how to uh, analyze data at large scales. Um, you had to do your own data engineering, your own data QA. You really had to know the full spectrum of how to utilize this data um, because you really didn't know how your work was going to be used. If you found something cool, you know, you'd, then you'd, you'd have to build that next part of the pipeline on how to deploy it and how to support it. Um, whereas now, because of both the advancement of the tooling and better understanding of the expertise along that full, uh, what I'll call the data development lifecycle, you're you're able to form teams and again it's you know we we're talking dungeons and dragons so if you're going on an adventure and you're going you know to to, to slay a dragon or, or fight some some evil being you would like to pick characters that you know fit the challenge ahead you know whether you need someone strong in magic or strength or defense or offense or, or whatever the case may be um same thing applies to sports obviously you need you know i'm a, a basketball junkie so you need a you know a strong point guard or you need a, a big presence in the middle you want a rim protector you know whatever the case may be it should align with your your um the, the mission or the goal of your efforts. Um, and I think that's more clear today. Uh, and specifically for us, when we started ResiShares, we knew that our, our main strategy was going to be solely based in our data prowess. So in forming a team to do that, we knew we needed the right components or the right uh, skill sets to complement this entire pipeline that we were going to need, which included everything from the sourcing of data, the normalizing, the data engineering, to the analysis layer, to all the way to the, um, to the research and, and the model building layer. Um, and that's exactly what we've done uh, at the company. And, and I think because nowadays a lot of professionals are multifaceted in their ability to do different components of that data stack, um, we have tremendous overlap across a very small team, which makes us very nimble and powerful to respond to different opportunities um, because we're not so siloed, but we do have our areas of expertise and are able to lend hands wherever the, you know, the ogre comes up. Uh, you know, we have the right the right teammates to go to go slay that. So, um, so that's that's how I think things have have changed, and, and of course, they're going to continue to change. We, you know, tooling is another thing that's that's been significantly different over the last fifteen years. But in terms of people, you know, I think there's there's definitely better of an understanding of skill sets and and really what skills are needed to. To, to, to achieve an objective. In talking about the Resi shares kind of edge you've created using data, it seems like there's a couple different types of edges. One just being the the amount of data you're taking in is just so much greater than the competition that nobody has the information that you do. And then there's another type of edge that it seems to be that it seems to exist, which is more organizational where you have a, a company and a team and decision makers who care about data. And it's one thing to have the data, but another to use it. How do you create those two at ResiShares, those two edges, and what goes into creating each? So on the latter point, again, you really need to develop and commit to a strategy. So uh, a lot of times what I've seen is uh, different businesses decide that they need a data strategy once it's too late, 
Like, you know, like we need it. We need you. You oftentimes want that data strategy uh, in a moment that, you know, almost like if you're outside in your backyard and you say, oh, I, I, w- I wish wish we had a shade tree here. OK, well, the times you have planted that shade tree was, you know, 30 years ago. So, um, so so I think part of that is what differentiates. I think a lot of businesses is you got you have to uh, have, have deliberate development of a data strategy and explicit commitment to that strategy, um, because a lot of times these things take time without, you know, and from a business point of view, if it's not, if it's a cost center, it's not producing, um, ROI, it's very easy to say, especially in lean times, like, like now for a lot of folks in our segment, you know, that's going to be the first team to go, but that's where I believe the edge resides because those who can hold the line and, you know, again, hold on to that commitment will come out ahead when, you know, those opportunities arise. Uh, and that's really what we've done, you know, and, and particularly at ResiShares with the, you know, the, the, the rise in interest rates, the slowdown in, um, you know, the kind of the single family rental activity over the last year or so. Um, we have not been sitting in our hands. We've continued to commit to our thesis, which is if you, if you can utilize the data that's out there in a way to programmatically and optimally select assets and manage assets, that, uh, that, again, that to date have largely been human-driven, Excel-driven, then that gives us an edge in but being able to do this at scale. And not just at scale, but be outperforming traditional approaches at scale. And that's a tremendous edge. But, of course, nobody's buying right now. So we're, we're, we're continuing to develop. We're, hold, we're holding that commitment, um, as ever, however hard it, it is for us and, and others out there in the space. But we know that this will pay off for us. Um, and hopefully the near future here, as, as it looks like a lot of signals are suggesting things are starting to thaw. On the first point around the quantity of data, uh, that is absolutely uh, a kind of a, I would say, a, a universal truism for a lot of uh, industries, clearly outside of, of housing as well. But certainly more is better. Um, but but I think for those out there that are in the space, everyone would agree, yes, more is better, but more isn't always uh, of the same quality. Um, and so there's there's that quality factor there where you could be talking about you know petabytes of data, but if you only got gigabytes of usable good data, well then there you go. But that, those gigabytes are still better than if you did not have them. So there's that's the the more is better thing. But um, but yeah, but yeah, and I think uh, towards that end, in terms of more data, it's it's not just um, you know more of the same. I would say it's more of unique angles. So again, if you have a thesis around how, for example, consumers are interacting, um, maybe you would want to piece together the entirety of a consumer um, profile, which is nothing new. It's very common in the marketing um, space to, to try to understand the, who, who, are, who are the consumers and what are their preferences, et cetera. Um, but as we're seeing with you know, the, the kind of new, the new AI initiatives and, and the chat GPTs of the world, um, you know, the, the, you, uh, the customization of those tools to an individual are really this next frontier. Um, and instead of making inferences around, you know, what you think at scale, like, uh, what is it, the, the Nielsen rating scales that have, you know, demographics of, um, or, or profiles of, you know, I forget how many there are, I think there's probably hundreds at this point, but um, the different profiles of us as consumers, even with hundreds of profiles, 
there's billions of us on this earth that share uniqueness uh, or have a certain level of uniqueness that is, is still orders of magnitude, not captured by even hundreds or even thousands of, of individual models. So, um, so when, when I think of more data, it's getting more data on that full spectrum as opposed to more data on a very individual narrow band that I think the advantage lies. Where do you see, you mentioned kind of a number of ways that AI is contributing towards your data strategy. What opportunities do you see with AI at ResiShares? Yeah, no, there's, 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 uh, AI is a funny one for me, at least, just because as a statistician, statistical models have been learning uh, since, oh, I don't know, probably the 1400s. It's just that the scale at which they've been able to learn is, has been minuscule compared to uh, the, the manners in which it could be done now. So yes, it, it is a little bit of a different beast in today's world uh, than it was when Sir Ronald Fisher was, was doing regressions. But, but there's certainly a place, uh, and I think when you can do computations and statistical learning at that scale, uh, you do get to have some advantages in, you know, again, a real estate being a very human-driven process uh, that I think AI will lend itself very um, well towards. So, for example, descriptions and understanding of freeform text. Uh, freeform text is everywhere in our space. It's obviously you see it in a listing, you know, beautiful summer home or great windows, you know, mature trees, you know, whatever the MLS description is, has, has a lot of signal in that. And so I think AI could, could really be deployed there to help understand and, and normalize what, what is really being said in each of those, you know, custom, custom writings. Um, another uh, example of that is in the appraisal industry. Uh, there's a lot of commentary from appraisers on, again, the, the same, basically the same thing: the condition of the house, the you know its location in the market in the neighborhood. That uh, AI I think could help normalize and um, you know understand at scale. So for us at ResiShares, it's really helping us to understand the unstructured world better. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of structured data out there that, that we feel very confident on. Um, but the, uh, kind of the fuzzy stuff is where I think we can, we can really deploy some AI tools, uh, to get a, to get an advantage. You mentioned earlier that the importance with data sources isn't necessarily just sheer depth and getting petabytes of data, but more making sure you have a holistic view of what's happening what goes into evaluating a new potential data set that you would bring into your, your data analytics and kind of portfolio? Right, right. Uh, great question. And that's a question we, it's at this point for us, it, it does, it's a little case by case basis. Usually where we start is with some initial thesis on, you know, the goal we're trying to achieve and what we believe a prospective data set can help us um, uh, infer. Uh, in, in, the, in that effort. Um, so, for example, if we want some insight into how consumers are going to deal with rising rents and interest rates and make decisions between buying versus renting, um, you know, we may be looking for uh, signals outside of housing. So we might ask ourselves, well, you know, how is their food budget going up? How is, um, you know, what, what is the, the lifestyle changes that they're making? Um, what about their migration patterns? Are people trading out the city for the exurbs? Um, you know, are they moving to places that are, you know, cheap uh, just because they're cheap or they're cheap and fun? You know, like th there are different 
you know, factors that every new data set that comes to us, we will, we will kind of run it through. Does it answer this question, this question, this question? And if the answer is mostly no or majority no, then we tend to pass and say, well, even if these small set of, of potential um, inferences tend to work out, uh, you know, it, it certainly doesn't seem like it would be worth our time or money to, to invest further. Um, but, but even if there are, it's across the board, we feel like a, a new data set is, is going to be insightful for, for our goals. Um, then we get to the secondary question of how, how much coverage or how prevalent is the data? Um, because with a lot of these new data sets, you know, maybe there's five years of history. Um, well, housing in particular works on much larger cycles. You know, we're talking 18 to 20 year cycles. So um, that uh, uh, a data set with such an abridged history is is very limiting for us in that we, we only get partial story. Um, and again, we're trying to play the long play here, especially when we start talking about three, five, seven year appreciation predictions that, um, you know, we tend to want more of a longer history as well. So, so we look at it in different lenses, but oh, the, the first filter is if, uh, if, if we can see a direct line of sight between what the given data source is and um, what goals we're trying to, to achieve. Is there a key question or solution that you're looking for today that you, you haven't come across in the market yet that can help you with either the structured or unstructured data? Probably. I mean, it, <laughs> I kind of hesitate to say, you know, what, what many say. I don't know what I don't know. It's a little bit of cop out because I feel like I probably should know. <laughs> but um, I guess one that's always been a little tricky, and there's been, you know, kind of slivers of this comes out every now and again. But it's really around the desirability or the shadow demand, as as some call it. Um, so kind of the the internal dialogues you can imagine of, of people sitting in, in you know, a coffee shop or in their living room or their apartment or something. And, and that conversation of, I would buy, but, or we, sh- we, we could rent, but. But those deliberations that never really manifest themselves into an action, but they're out there as a data point that's yet to be captured, or at least in, in large part be captured, uh, that would allow us to understand how much actual demand is out there instead of just the folks that, you know, put offers on homes and, and then ultimately close on homes or, or ditto with rentals. Um, and so right now it's fragmented. You know, I, I think some of the major portals have much of that data. So I'm thinking of the Zillow's and apartments.com and Redfin's and, you know, those, those entities certainly have uh, a fair amount of that data. But I think as a kind of a general non-brand specific, um, you know, something akin to the census, I think is probably the closest, but even that's, that's quite a bit aggregated to, to really provide anything to micro. Um, but if anything, that's, that's probably a big one that's, that's missing at scale. You're thinking something in, on Zillow, like uh, page views, number of saves per property and how that changes based on description or pictures or square footed bed bath, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. As as one flavor of that, um, I think the page views is is that first indication of well, I'm at least interested. Uh, you may not know how serious a buyer is. You know, you can probably infer well they keep clicking on this link. They're they're probably pretty serious, um, or they're always opening up our daily digest. So they must be really interested. Um, but you know, maybe. But it would be a lot better if we had you know straight from the consumer themselves. 
something that was a little bit more direct on, you know, really where their mindset is, what are their, you know, kind of current thinkings, what are their um, current concerns on taking some sort of action or, you know, it's causing their inaction. Um, so, so there's a lot of inference from these outside signals. Um, and again, yeah, the Zillows of the world probably are best suited to, to make those inferences, but, uh, I, I guess I would be looking for just a little more detail beyond those, those page views. Yeah, that makes sense. When you think of Resi shares as a team today versus, um, maybe the team size you had at clear capital, is there benefit to scale with a data team? Like in terms, like if you had, if you went from five people in your data team to 10, is there some extra ability that will be unlocked through larger team? Or do you think some of the better tools today, like even something as like, like Tableau or Power BI, do you think, do you think tools have kind of equalized team size that maybe you'd need more headcount earlier to solve for today? Yeah. Uh, yes, but not, it's not, uh, I wouldn't say there's a magic number again, there's a lot of, you know, specificity on, you know, what the business objectives are that will determine your headcount, um, as well as the, you know, kind of the, 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 the breadth of data sources and the complexity of the data that, that one has. So, um, you know, going from, you know, the, the team of, of five that we have on, uh, on our side to 10, um, I could see if, you know, we are doing more things, I guess I'll say like, there, like, for example, we have a backlog that, we have a backlog, right? Like these are things that are not being done that are in the queue to be done um, because we don't have those 10 people. Uh, but even if we did have those 10 people, we would also have a backlog of things that, you know, it's further down the list. So it really just depends on, I think, again, going back to the business objectives and really the urgency. Um, tooling certainly helps. You mentioned some of those business intelligence tools like Tableau. Um, and that removes the need to home grow something, you know, whether, you know, you want to see reports or anything like that. Um, there are off-the-shelf off tooling, which is which is, have come a long way and are really good. Um, but if your application requires customization at its heart, well, then yes, you're going to need a larger team. And I would say back in in you know the early or the mid aughts when and then late aughts when I was building my team out, a lot of it was very custom. Uh, because again, we it was we were new. We were trying to figure out how this this data initiative was going to work. So by definition, everything was new that we were doing, and of course, we needed a big team to do that. Um, and uh, and that was a bigger company. But you know, I think here at ResiShares as a startup in particular, knowing that you know our our cash is 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 incredibly valuable. That's you know obviously one to one with our runway. Um, we want to be very very diligent on on how we spend our money. Um, we, we value everyone, you know, on our team. So we, we want to make hiring decisions very, very carefully. Um, and then, like I said, match the skill sets such that we, you know, kind of have folks that can do a whole breadth of different things. And, and that's, you know, ultimately what, you know, I think we'll, we'll keep headcounts down, um, and where tooling, especially as tool developers, will st- are already doing this, but you'll start to see where most of the talent is landing and then really what's left. And then what's left, I think, is that great opportunity for tools and software providers to come in and say, hey, we know it's either hard to find this type of person or we know this is a hard skill to um, kind of fit in amongst a team, and if, especially if you're making trade-offs. So, you know, maybe we instead of building a you know UI front end for you know business intelligence for BI, let's just you know get the Tableau license and, and move on with our lives. 
yeah, having built multiple data teams before, when you look at peer companies that are building data teams, perhaps from scratch, where do you often see folks get stuck? Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I've seen is really around data science, and now we call it, you know, AI is the is the new the new data science. But um, oftentimes it's 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 this rush to want to just jump towards the end. You might say, hey, I want a model that tells me what the price of a home is. Great, that's that that seems very accretive to one's business. That could be very helpful. Okay. We're aligned on that. So let's go out and hire a data scientist or a research modeler to do that. While also true, it does, uh, uh, it does gloss over the fact that you need to have a data pipeline that could serve those data assets to this modeling professional um, in, in an efficient manner. Because if you can't, if you don't have that existing uh, infrastructure for that, then what you'll find is this high-priced, high-skilled research analyst or modeler that you hired will be spending most of their time doing the data engineering, which, you know, whether they can or can't do is a, is a separate question, but it certainly is not aligning the highest and best use of that individual towards the highest and best use for the company. Um, and I think that's a common mistake. Uh, and, and ultimately, that, that comes back to just a lot of things, but it really depends on, you know, whether this business is, you know, kind of a legacy business has, you know, legacy data assets versus, um, you know, kind of the, the leadership at the top as well. Just being able to see that, that, that kind of vision, again, you know, the shade tree in the backyard, you know, knowing that, Hey, this is going to be something we need. Let's invest in, um, you know, the, the seedlings, uh, at an early time or, or even, you know, let's hire three or four people all towards this same initiative, uh, with going eyes wide open that this is maybe three or four X our initial spend, but we know that this is what it's going to take to be able to maximize the talents of our of the you know the actual person who's going to be building the research outputs or the modeling outputs um, that that achieve the business goal. So um, so yeah, so it kind of that's kind of goes in, in a lot of different ways. But I think that's a common mistake that I've seen some people do, just wanting to jump towards the end. Yeah, building on that further, what advice would you offer folks looking to build data teams? Is it, yeah, so the advice would be, uh, you know, an extension of what I was just saying, really, is to do the do the work, do the you know the pre work on really understanding to the best of one's ability, you know, um, the the whole path from you know the end objective all the way to the source data, and ask yourself questions like, how messy is this data? How easy is it to work with this data? How easy is it to join this particular data set that we need to achieve a business goal to the other assets that we may already have in house? Um, is that even necessary? Uh, you might have some one, one or uh, you might have a, an initiative where that's not even required at all, and that's great. That's great because you can cut out a lot of that that, that engineering work uh, and and have a more direct path to you know product development um, from a modeling point of view. Uh, if if it doesn't have to, if it could be its own isolated or own siloed uh, project, so so understanding that full that full path of the journey from you know source data to outcome, I think will will better equip a hiring team to understand where the where the gaps are. Um, and then at that point, depending, reconciling that with a the budget, then you start to get into this, 
you know, you get a full stack data developer versus, you know, someone who's just focused on the engineering and then you get someone who's just focused on the modeling. Um, you know, then I think you're, you're, you're better equipped to even interview and find the right candidate that, you know, is, is not only comfortable, but excels in each one of those. You know, someone might say, hey, just serve me up the data on a silver planner, platter and I will, you know, knock this out of the park for you. And you might find others that say, you know, I like to, I want to smell the dirt from the very beginning and I want to know everything along the way. Um, and then I will deliver something amazing. Um, and it's just style, personality. People, people have different preferences, uh, different strokes for different folks. But um, as, again, as a hiring uh, team and as, as someone starting to build a data team, I think that's the homework that has to be done first. Um, because ultimately, to be quite honest, if, if you haven't done that homework, most candidates at this point, they can smell that. And if and if it's you know if it's clear that you don't have a clear understanding of how this is you know how this is going to work, um, I won't speak for everybody, but at least for myself, that's a red flag that uh, you know that's that's going to be a challenging environment to work in. So, assuming you do know you you have done the work and you understand what it's like and what it takes, um, what do you look for and optimize for in in your hiring? So, if you're hiring someone, what what are the key characteristics? That you're looking for in a new data hire? Yeah. I would say one of the most important, I'll say there's two, but one of the most important is being able to communicate. And that may seem cliche, but it really is critical when you have somebody in a role that is doing things that are not easily understood by the rest of the business it's critical that that person be able have the skill set to be able to communicate what they're finding, what the challenges are, um, and, uh, and, and be able to make a case one way or another to the different stakeholders. I've seen it, I've seen that work and I've seen it now work. And usually when it doesn't work, uh, the person is just really not really set up for success because they're, they're doing things and they're running into challenges and they're just trying to overcome them without, communicating clearly and then this is where you get those long you know like oh this person's still working on it still working on it still working on it still working on it months and months go by and then you know the the kind of cautionary tale where it comes back to the you know stakeholder or the executive and they say you know you've been working for three months and this is all you have i didn't want this in the first place etc so so those are those are bad outcomes for everybody and it's you know very, obviously not conducive to a you know uh, an ef- efficient um, workflow um, but when it does work it's it's really amazing you know because then you have a, a data steward you have somebody who's you know down there and, and really understanding the data and is able to say, here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. Here's what I found. Here's what I'm not finding. Um, and really help guide the business to be a data-driven um, organization. So I would say communication is, is, is a big one. And then the other one is someone who is, uh, who understands trade-offs because I think to be a practitioner in the data sciences in a business context, it really you really have to have that skill set of, for example, buy versus build. You know, we were talking about that with the BI tools. You know, as an engineer, your natural inclination is to say, "Oh, I can, I can just build it," because um, it's it's more fun, quite frankly, to do that. Um, but to to be able to you know introspect in oneself and say, "Okay, yeah, I probably could," but is that the right thing to do? Um, or um, the other one would be even without you know buy versus build, even just knowing when eighty percent of the solution is good enough, 
uh, and you know, leaving that the hard twenty percent for a phase two, or maybe never. Um, you know, just just being able to understand that you know not everything is binary, that there are shades of gray, and knowing when to uh, you know kind of cut it and say, here, I think this is good enough. And then, of course, going back to the first point, being able to communicate that. I think those are the two main qualities I'm looking for uh, when I'm looking for for new teammates. I love that. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the House of Data podcast. It's been so great to chat with you and hear more about your work at ResiShares and so many of the different lessons you've picked up over the years. So thank you for sharing. Really appreciate your time. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to House of Data. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review and introducing the show to a friend in data to help more folks discover the podcast. For more information about Altus Research and the podcast, Check us out at altusresearch.com or send me an email at alex at hwmedia.com.